Well, good morning. Uh, happy Easter. Thanks for joining us. If you walked in for the first time today, we're so grateful you did that. I know sometimes it's hard to walk in to a new place, and yeah, we hope you feel welcome. So Tennessee Williams' story, Something by Tolstoy, goes like this. Jacob was a shy son of a book owner, a bookstore owner, and he had taken over his dad's business. He fell in love with Lila, a vivacious, outgoing young lady, and they married, which filled his heart. But then an agent heard Lila sing, and I thought, I can't stay. I got to go. I got to follow my dreams. And Jacob said to her, you'll be back one day, I know. Take this key with you. I'll be waiting. Fifteen years went by when Lila walks in the bookstore and Jacob doesn't recognize her. And he says, can I help you find a book? She's momentarily rattled because she thought there was going to be this coming back together. But, but she recovers her poise and she said, yeah, yeah, you can. I, I can't remember the title of the book, but, but let me tell you the story. And she tells Jacob the story of Lila and Jacob. And she finishes and she says, you remember, you must remember the story of Lila and Jacob, don't you? Jacob goes, yeah, it's, it's vaguely familiar. I, I think I read it someplace. Uh, it sounds like something by Tolstoy. At that point, the key? drops from her hand, and all the only sound is the metallic key hitting the wooden floor, the sound emblematic of a dream shattered. There would be no reunion. In tears, she rushes out the door, and Jacob, he goes back to shelving books. Here's my question. When she runs out the door in tears, her dream shattered, where'd she go? How, how do you run from that, a shattered dream? Is there any hope? Is God in that picture at all? Well, I think he is. And I want to talk about today. Where's God when our dreams are shattered? So if you have a Bible, if you'd open to Luke 24... We'll start in verse 13 and we'll go through verse 35, wrestling with this question, where's God when our dreams are shattered? Now, as you're turning there or finding it on your phone, and if you don't have it, we'll put it up here in the, the PowerPoint. It's the afternoon of the first Easter. Um, Jesus has been uh, crucified and put in the tomb, and, and, and two of his followers who had bet everything, had left everything to follow Jesus, well, well they're headed out of town because their dreams are gone. That's where we pick it up in verse 13. It says, And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. You wonder why. Why were their eyes prevented? Well, I'm not sure. Ultimately, God is infinite and we're finite. He decides. 
who, to whom and when he will reveal himself and how and where. But, but we have a part in that, and I know that God responds to our faith, our trust in him. You see, before Jesus went to the cross, he told the people, I, I will be crucified, and I'll be in the tomb three days, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and I'll rise again. We're going to find out these guys had uh, eyewitness reports that the tomb was empty, and, and they chose not to believe. You know, it's in our faith that we experience everything God has for us. Imagine, you will, a parent at a swimming pool begging his or her child to, to jump in the pool. So, so you, you can experience the pool. But, but the child, well, they don't trust mom or dad that she or he can take care of them in the pool. Well, they don't jump because they don't have the faith. Well, they don't experience what the parent would have for them. There's something about our faith that allows us to enter a relationship with God and ultimately all that God has for us. Uh, these two men are having a crisis of faith. But Jesus doesn't give up on them. Verse 17, uh, and he said to them, what are these words that you're talk, exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still looking sad. Why are they sad? Well, we'll get there. Sit tight. We'll get there in just a minute. But they're sad. But Jesus is playing, man, I, I, I don't know what's been going on. One of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of these things which happened here in these days? So this crucifixion and burial of Jesus was a very public event. Everybody knew. He died on that hill over there, and he got buried in that tomb there. That, that, that was public knowledge. And the guy's incredulous. How can you say you don't know? And he said, Jesus says, what things? He said these things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word in the sight of God and all the people. And how the chief priests and all our rulers delivered him to be sentenced, sentenced of death and crucified. Now here's why they're sad, sad, verse 20. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. What does it mean redeem Israel? Israel at the time was an occupied land. The Romans occupied Israel. They weren't free. Now as Americans, we don't know what that's like to be occupied. But when you're an occupied world, you have no Bill of Rights. There's no court of law. You're, you're just subject to the people. We had hoped that he was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides this, it's the third day since these things have happened. These guys left everything. Because this Jesus man, he'd been doing some crazy stuff. The disciples had been out in a boat and some fishermen, and, and they were freaked out by the storm, and they said, don't you care, we're dying. And Jesus stood up, and he said, hush, be still, and bang, the storm was done. This guy commands the wind and the waves with just, yeah. About a week or two before Jesus' crucifixion, there was a guy, Lazarus, and he died. He was Jesus' friend. And Jesus shows up four days after he's dead, and he tells his sisters, Martha and Mary, hey, I'm going to bring him out. 
talking about. And one of the sisters goes, oh, whoa, 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 he's, he's been in there four days. And Jesus says, did I not tell you if you believe, you would see the power of God? So, so they think he controls storms, he controls fever, he controls life and death. This guy, he can get the Romans out, he can redeem us. But apparently that's not happening because supposedly he's dead. Supposedly he's dead. So they're living in this shattered dream, and then they get this crazy rumor from some trusted friends. Here's the rumor right here, verse 22 to 24. But also some women among us amazed us. How so? When they were at the tomb early in the morning, they went to anoint his body. They did not find his body. They came saying that they'd also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive, just like he said he was going to be. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. This resurrection of Jesus was a very, very public event, attested by more than 500. We saw him die. We saw him put in the tomb, and we went to the tomb, and it's empty. It's empty. And that's the very foundation of our faith. On the first Easter, Jesus, having been certified dead on Friday, because they stuck a, stuck a spear in his side in the way it's separate, he's dead, wrapped him in grave clothes, put him in there, put a guard to seal the tomb. We believe he came out Sunday morning, just, just as God predicted. Well, how would you know? When our younger son was in kindergarten, he started asking my wife, hey, mom, what about the age of the earth? He's asking young earth, old earth questions. And then he's asking about the reliability. Hey, I really want to believe this, but how do I know it's true? And, and mom, what can you tell me? And my wife said to him, your father's the pastor. Why don't you ask him? <laughs> Thanks, babe. So he really zeroed in on this, and this began a three-year conversation and it was in the third grade, and, and we brought it up again. And, and I said, Drew, can you tell me who, uh, who your kindergarten teacher was? And I said, yeah, Dad, Miss Fry. Can you prove that to me scientifically? Can you recreate? No, I can't, can't bring that back. So, so am I just supposed to believe you? Can you tell me anything? He said, well, go, go talk to Miss Fry. She'll tell you. Okay. Tell me anything else? We'll talk to this friend and this friend and this friend and this friend. I'm in the third grade with them now. They were in, they were in there with me. They can tell you, we, we were all in Miss Fry's class together. Son, you got anything else for me? Well, Dad, if you go to the office at Maxie, went to Maxie Elementary, they'll have a record that, that I was... Well, son, you have a pretty good historical case there, don't you? And if you were to bring that into a court of law, the judge would instruct, instruct the jury, you, what's the most reasonable thing to believe here? Now, I said, son, if, if you're determined to be a skeptic and you're not believe, you could say, well, Dad, can you prove to me that you didn't pay off Miss Fry and, you, you know, you didn't pay off the students? And if you really want to doubt, the next day, my wife was coming out of the bedroom, and there's a signed statement. I asked Jesus into my life on this day. It, it hangs on my uh, bulletin board in there. I think there's good historical evidence to believe that Jesus resurrected from the dead. Lee Strobel is an author 
I'm sorry, he was a newspaper journalist. And he set out, as he would in any other case, to investigate the claims of Jesus and really to disprove them. And the more he got into the evidence, the more he got into the history, he found out it's true. And he wrote a book called The Case for Christ. If you're one of those people here that are thinking through the resurrection, you're not sure what you think about, we've got copies free back here in the spotlight booth. I invite you to take one. Consider what he has to say, because I think the historical evidence points to the most reasonable thing to do is to believe that Jesus resurrected from the dead. But Jesus is, is dealing with some folks in, in, in the midst of some doubts. And so he says to them in verse 25, O foolish man and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Jesus didn't go, hey, 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 look, 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 look at the way. No, 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 no. He started in the scriptures. God has chosen to reveal himself in his word. That's why we do this every Sunday. We get in the Bible, the word of God, because this is where God reveals himself. We encourage you on your own to read the Bible. Why? Because this is where God reveals himself. And Jesus says, the whole Old Testament, well, it points to me, that a Savior was needed, and I am the answer to Hundreds of years of prophecy. Having said that, Jesus acts like he's going on his way. Verse 28. As they approached the village where they were going, he acted as if he was going further. farther. And they urged him, saying, stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with him. Look, look if, if, you, if you don't want Christ, he's not going to force himself. He's not kicking down your door. He comes in when you open the door. He's not... And, and he's ready... I, I, fellas, I'm going this way. Oh, well, we want you to stay. Jesus goes where he's invited. So he's invited in. Here's what happens, verse 30. When he reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scripture to us? And they're leaving. They're crushed because they invested three years in this Jesus and he was supposed to redeem Israel and apparently he's gone and they, they're heading out of town and lo and behold, he's right beside them. See, we're wrestling with this question. Where's God when our dreams are shattered? Here's what I'd say. Jesus, man, he's right beside us. For, for God's people, when our dreams are shattered and God's people do face shattered dreams, Jesus is right behind us. Now, a lot of people come to church on Christmas and Easter, and that, that's great. And, and, you know, they're hopeful that, man, man God will just, you know, if, if I get right with God, life will be, life will be great and be perfect. And, and I, I, I'm, I don't want to sell you that bill of goods. Because Jesus' followers suffer heartbreak too. Came on, when I came on staff, I worked in a campus ministry out of college. Uh, my roommate, one of my roommates' name was Tim Schaefer, a couple years younger than me. About 12 days ago on Facebook, Tim Schaefer's wife posted that he had had severe heart attack. 
He was in ICU. This was his second big major heart trauma in the last five years. Uh, he's on a ventilator. Breathed on his own a little bit, but then he got too tired. Couldn't respond to commands. And these people are followers of Jesus. And she said, my heart is breaking right now. And I don't know what's going to happen with my husband, but I know Jesus is next to me. So I kept following this thing, and it's going, and it's going. And I'm not medically trained, but when this thing reached 12 days on Friday, I thought, that can't be good. Well, yesterday came the post. Today, my husband of 31 years passed into the arms of Jesus. And I don't know how I'm going to face tomorrow. But I know Jesus is by my side. And she said, Tim told me, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. She said, I'm holding on, I'm holding on to that. Gave me a husband 31 years, seven great kids. I'm holding on to that. How do we get to that place with God? Well, here's the, the Easter was no accident. It wasn't like God whoop, got out of control and things got out. No, this was God's plan. See, all of us have a rebellious nature towards God. It was shown in the garden. Adam and Eve said, God, you go your way, I'll go, I'll go mine. I'll, I'll call my own shots. All of us are born with what we call a sin nature. God, I'll do my thing. You don't believe that? Tell me, what's a child's, usually their first word? No. No, I'm going to do my own thing. No. Well, that's our attitude towards God. The Bible calls that rebellion sin. Wrong actions, wrong thoughts, wrong words come from that. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came and lived the life we're supposed to live. Perfect submission to the Father. Right up to the point, he dies an unjust death on the cross. Plan of God. He rose again for the forgiveness of your sin and mine. And when we confess our sin, when we put our trust in him, he forgives that sin and he restores our heart that we might begin to live the way God designs to live, under the will and submission of God. And remember, the God that's calling you to trust him is, is the God saying, jump in the pool, trust me. I, I got fullness of life here. Would you believe me? And see that God promises us that whatever we face, he'll be right by our side. It was about eight and a half. We were on a family vacation. We were out in Disneyland. And we're in the haunted house line. And it's a long line. And, and, and what I'm hearing every time the car goes in, rah, people scream. And I'm thinking, this is kind of freaking me out. But I'm eight and a half, and I don't want to be seen as chicken. So I don't want to back out. So I think, how am I going to handle this? You want know to decide? I, I got two brothers, but I, I work my way up. So I'm beside my dad. And I figure if I can get in the car with my dad, we can handle anything. I don't need to know what goes up behind on those doors when they open, your car goes in and they close. I can trust that whatever's happening there, my dad can handle it. I can't tell you what's going to happen in your life. I can't. But I can tell you, by, if Jesus is by your side, he can handle it. Just like this woman who lost her husband. They still got a kid in high school. I know Jesus is going with me. You know, we serve a relational God. Father, Son, and Spirit, they were together, eternity past. Jesus right by their side. You know, when she did the uh, North Point Community Highlights, Julie mentioned that we do life groups here. Because we think a relational God would have people be together. 
We encourage you to consider getting involved with us. We have groups, all, all kinds of ages, different places, different things. You know, if jumping into a group like that maybe is a little too much, we come, get to know us. We have a first Sunday. Every first Sunday of every month, we do a lunch. that We just sit and break bread together, kind of like Jesus. Did. You, you, God's revealed in those meal times. We did a skate night. We'll do a night out at the lake. We'll do a pool party. This Things that God made us for him and for one another. The Bible says that. But medical research will say that. Medical study I looked at this week, if you're lonely, 29% higher risk of heart attack. If you're lonely, all things being equal, 32% higher risk of stroke. If you're over 50 and you're lonely, 40% higher risk of dementia. Don't be surprised by that. That's what the Creator made us for one another. We're trying to live that out because we serve a relational God. So what do these guys do? They just found out he's alive. That burning that was going on, it, it, was, it was God was stirring in their heart, and they, they combined it with the objective truth, and, and, and they determined he's alive. So what do they do? Well, verse 33, they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the 11 and those who were with them. Remember, it was seven miles one way. Now they're going back seven miles the other way, and folks, there's no Uber. Okay? These folks, on their Fitbit, they're going to be getting their steps on this day. Seven miles there, seven miles back. Why couldn't it just wait? Just, I mean, have a rest? Because the message is, is too important. In their estimation, it can't wait. So they get there and and this is what they say, verse 34, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. And they begin to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. That's what we're encouraging people to do in our body, with their neighbors, friends. Just share your experience with Jesus. You don't have to condemn them to hell. You know, just, just, this is what I found to be true. And this Jesus who we recognize risen from the dead, that, that's been my experience being Christ in our community. Beyond that, in what we say, we want to represent God in his character and nature. And we believe God cares for the vulnerable, the widow, the poor, the orphan, sojourner. His love for those people, it's all over the Old Testament. That's why we're doing the shoes, because there's people who don't have shoes. That's why we're doing uh, parent-teacher conferences. no parent-teacher organization. So we're doing the, the snacks and the meals because we think the teachers are doing a noble work. And we just, if we can come alongside them and encourage them just a little bit, we want to do that. Refugee families are being settled in this community. We've adopted an Afghan family. Why? Because it's the nature and character of God. We believe the mission can't wait. People need to know both in what we say and what we do. You know, I did a rod. It's a race up in Alaska. It's a dog sled race. It's every year. You know, it didn't start as a race. It didn't start as a sporting event. It started as a rescue mission. 1925, 1,400 kids were infected with diphtheria, and they were wheezing for air. And it was 1,000 miles between Nome and where they needed to get. And the train could only take it about 300 miles, and the waterways were frozen. So it was a dog sled relay we got to go. And in fact, they ran that thing at a record that hasn't been beaten. 
Why? Because because the, the, the time was too critical. We, we need to go. And, and they pushed. And, and the reason they had realized it was so cold that they afraid the dogs interior would freeze. And in fact, they lost four dogs on this thing. They had 20 mushers and 150 dogs because it was so critical. And they got the serum out there to save lives. The, the, the church is not an athletic event. It's a rescue mission. And the mission we're about is this right here. That Jesus is risen from the dead and it changes everything. It will change your life here on earth and it will change your eternity. We're about letting the people know that life is not sanitized. There will be heartaches. There will be hurts. But for the follower of Christ, he's right there beside them. Over spring break as a family, we went down to Manhattan, Kansas. I've got a nephew there. We spent the night in a hotel. And uh, Monday the 13th, I'm eating breakfast. And we usually don't have a TV, but on this day, the TV's on and the breakfast thing. And they're talking about the Silicon Valley Bank failure. And they're talking about what they're going to do in D.C. and what's going on. And then, like they always do, they, they do a snapshot to a person. And she said, you know, we've been in business 16 years. It's a family business we started. And everything we have is in Silicon Valley Bank. And trying to figure out what, and, and then yeah, it's just a snapshot, and then they move on. But I thought, isn't that life? Everything's going good, then bang. Something way out of your control. All your assets could be frozen would be gone. And, and what do we have? If it's, if it's not a bank failure, it's a cancer diagnosis, it's a, I don't know, a car accident, I don't know. What, what do we have? We have the certainty that Jesus Christ is at our side. And that we celebrate on this day. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we're grateful for the truth that Jesus has risen from the dead. And that in him, we have the certainty that we don't go it alone. In, them we have, in him, we have the certainty that we have an eternity together. Lord, we celebrate you and we thank you in Christ's name.